Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. This is an RNZ podcast. This week, Downton Abbey on the big screen. It's like it never went away. Our staff have nothing to do. Nothing. It's not right for us to be humiliated in this way. See, Pete. We want to defend Downton's honour. We think we should fight back. (laughs) This is treason. Florianopolis dream, holiday romance when Argentinians go to Brazil. ¿Cómo se dice la gente que toma cerveza todo el día? Brasilero. (laughs) And high life is set about as far away as you can travel. Since we left the solar system... Radio silence. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. One of the sources of harmless amusement on this show, I believe, is the sound of me floundering as I struggle to find coherent clips to illustrate movies, as they say, not in the English language. When a film is a dialogue-rich drama set, shall we say, in Macedonia, there's only so much a radio audience can follow before things get lost in translation. Still, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Foreign language films continue to come out, especially after the International Film Festival. They're often well worth discussing, and local audiences are understandably interested in whether they're worth going to. So, untranslated or not, we'll continue to sprinkle what one unimpressed consumer once referred to as unfiltered gobbledygook and hope that at least some of the flavour of the film cuts through. Hey! Lip my stocking. Hey, lip hey. them, lip them. Yeah. What? Lip them like this. Lip them. Rip them. Lip. Yes. You want me to rip your stockings? Yes. Rip my stockings, please. Rip your stockings. Yes, you want please, me to rip your stockings. This week, a film festival movie called Florianopolis Dream brings an added complication to this problem. Part of the point of this family comedy drama is the breakdown in communication between Spanish-speaking Argentinians and Portuguese-speaking Brazilians. I mean, if they don't understand each other, what hope is there for the rest of us? Yo prefiero primero nos instalamos, nos acomodamos y después vamos a... No, 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 no. Se para praia agora. Divirtam-se lá, tão bom banho de bar. E depois vocês voltam Isso não é um pedido, isso é uma ordem. Hum? Saúde. 
Equally hard to render on the radio are long, lingering visuals in uncompromising art films. But once again, we rely on the listener bringing some imagination to bear on a film like Claire Denis' High Life, a rare venture into sci-fi from the veteran director. It is in the English language this time, but the sensibility is very French and very much from a female perspective. There is nothing to fear. Everything's going to be fine. Are you sick? Do you realise nothing is ever going to go inside us? And sometimes the perspective is the hardest thing to translate. A film like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for instance, is being greeted with wholehearted enthusiasm by mostly male film critics. Meanwhile, the unconverted look on in unconvinced bemusement. My hands are registered as lethal weapons. We get into a fight, I accidentally kill you, I go to jail. Anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. By contrast, a rather different demographic is anticipating, with bated breath, a film that the Tarantino crowd would rather have root canal work than go and see. Last Christmas combines the twin appeals of the cheesy Christmas movie and the music of the late George Michael. Whoa! You! Again. What do you mean again? Did you follow me here? Are elves always so cynical? Yes. Relentlessly, these are dark times. I'm Tom. Kate. Actually, Last Christmas may be a little more widely appealing than it looks, thanks to an interesting cast led by co-star scriptwriter Emma Thompson. And that's the trick, to translate a project aimed at one particular audience to a more general one. Well, nowhere was that achieved more entirely and more surprisingly than the TV series and now feature film Downton Abbey. here for dinner, Mama. It's a buffet. Well, I'm not changed. You just need to take off your hat. You talk as if that were easy. (sighs) The allure of the British aristocracy, particularly comparing the scandalous behaviours of the toffs and the servants who wait on them, has always been irresistible to the Brits, steeped as they are in their class system. But Americans are fascinated too, even if they don't always get the finer points. Really, uh, most of it takes place at a uh, shooting party in a country house, sort of like this one, actually. Uh, murder in the middle of the night, a lot of guests for the weekend, everyone's a suspect, uh, you know, that sort of thing. How horrid. The culture clash was aired in Robert Altman's brilliant satire, Gosford Park, written by a minor toff called Julian Fellows, who went on to become a real lord on the strength of his TV follow-up, Downton Abbey. Downton scrapped the satire, dived headlong into costume drama soap opera and became one of the most successful shows ever created. No maid, no valet, no nanny even. It's 1927. We're modern folk. But what exactly was the appeal? Even ardent Downton Abbey fans were a little puzzled. The series started with a promise of scandal, murder and class warfare, sexual peccadilloes above and below stairs. At one stage, an Arab sheik threatened to compromise Lord Grantham's eldest daughter. Blimey. 
the key phrase being threatened to. One of the secrets of Downton's TV success was always promising the worst, but never quite delivering it. No matter how gloomy things looked at the start of an episode, by the end, mostly all became well with very little difficulty. I want every surface to gleam and sparkle. A royal luncheon, a parade and a dinner. I'm going to have to sit down. So can the same magic formula happen here in the feature film that picks up a year or so after you'd think just about all the loose ends had been tied up in pretty pink bows? I think you may have noticed the phrase, just about all the loose ends. In Downton, there are always more loose ends to be attended to. Just like the old days, Granny's here and Isabel, and we're paying a call this afternoon on Princess Mary. Oh, has my new ball dress arrived? Not yet, but it will. Hello, Mary. How are you? The story opens with a telegram, they usually do, announcing everything from the sinking of the Titanic to the outbreak of World War I. In this case, nothing so stressful, you'd think, merely the arrival of some guests. The post's just arrived, my lord. Heaven. What is it? The king and queen are coming to stay. What? Here we go. But these guests are something special. The first sight of actual royalty in the entire franchise. 1927 means King George V, the father of the King's Speech chap. The entire household is put on high alert. Can they cope? I am the King's butler. We have come to Downton in advance of their majesties. The royal butler's terribly scary. <laughs> Stay out of our way. I am their majesty's chef. I want the olive oil now. He wants a clip round the ear now. Well, it turns out they won't be required to cope because the royal household takes over when His Majesty goes visiting. The staff's nose is put out of joint, with the blame going, rather unfairly, on Barrow, the former gay footman, now the replacement for Carson as the Downton Abbey butler. I don't want to be a nuisance, but I need your help, Carson. Barrow just isn't up to the task. The truth is, he's in a sort of trance. Won't you help me? I feel I'm pushing a rock uphill. I'll be there in the morning, my lady. Don't you worry. You're a treasure, Carson. That's all there is to say. I'll see myself out. Barrow, the gay butler, has lurked as a potentially sinister figure since the series started. Regularly he threatens to overturn the apple cart with his dubious ways, and each time he signally fails to do so. And once again... Well, once again... Well, you can be a sort of... With your permission, I'd prefer not to be a sort of anything, my lord. I will surrender my position for the duration of the visit, if I must, and serve you again when their majesties have gone, if you so wish. Please don't think... By the way, the boiler's playing up and there's no hot water. My own favourite member of the Downton Abbey cast was always Joanne Froggart as the quietly heroic maid Anna. This time she seems to be in danger of being once again totally overlooked until she rallies the troops to take on the royal servant bullies. Go, Anna. Our staff have nothing to do. Nothing. It's not right for us to be humiliated in this way. See, Pete. We want to defend Downton's honour. We think we should fight back. <laughs> this is treason. 
never in danger of being overlooked in anything she's in, is the redoubtable Maggie Smith, once again grabbing the script of Downton Abbey by the scruff of its clichés and milking it for everything she can. And this time she's assisted by Imelda Staunton as a rival dowager with a suspicious attachment to her lady's maid, Lucy. Can I help you at all? I'm Lady Bagshaw's maid. Might as well admit, I like her. She is a scheming little minx. What piffle you talk. <gasps> there is no need to argue. I never argue. I explain. The suspicious relationship, needless to say, will dissolve in a puff of smoke before it gets out of hand, but not before the actress playing Lucy has established herself not just with her charm, but with her name. Who could resist someone called Tuppence Middleton? I have such a feeling that you can understand what's going on in my head. It's easy to be as snobby towards Downton Abbey on a big or small screen as a royal chef is to Mrs Patmore, but there's something endearing about its old-fashioned Englishness and total lack of cynicism as it doles out happy endings all round. The last few days have made me think, what are we doing? Should we really go on with it? Downton Abbey's the heart of this community, and you're keeping it beating. And the terrific cast once again performs that mysterious Jedi mind trick that fools the audience into thinking they're seeing something rather more significant than it is. Like a bumblebee, it flies even if by all the laws of physics it shouldn't be able to. Your Majesties, welcome to Downton Abbey. Oh, can I help you? Someone must, sir. I I may never rise again. (laughs) One of the successes of the recent International Film Festival, or the current one, depending on where you live, was a sunny South American film about an Argentinian family who drives north for a holiday in a well-known Brazilian resort called Florianopolis. The film's called Florianopolis Dream. Argentina? Sí, Argentina. Brasileiro? The popularity of Florianopolis' dream outside its home territory is a little surprising, since part of its appeal is the clash of cultures between Spanish-speaking Argentina, illustrated by the slightly formal tango music, and the Portuguese language Brazil, famous for its samba rhythms. The languages seem to be close enough for the characters to be able to follow each other, but far enough apart to lead to endless misunderstandings. We meet the family as their car breaks down a few miles from their destination. Vamos a esperar a ver si pasa alguien. A ver si pasa alguno, le hago dedo. The Argentinians include parents Pedro and Lucretia and their teenage kids, Julian and Florencia. They run out of petrol because Dad was trying to save money. Dad, we discover, is frequently trying to save money. They're rescued by a breezy Brazilian businessman called Marco, who offers them a better place to stay than the rundown shack Pedro had booked. Argentinos que rescató en ruta. 
Gosta do Brasil? Sim, sí, gosta, gosta muito. Aproveitamos que o câmbio é bom para venir. The family hits it off with Marco's family and they discover they have more than a little in common. Pedro and Lucretia have decided to have a trial separation and Marco and his wife are on the verge of breaking up in a civilised manner too. Two separated couples. What could possibly happen here? We're unlikely to be asking ourselves. In fact, the film written by Argentinian director Anna Katz rests more on the entertaining characters than on its unpredictable plot twists. ¿Cómo se dice la gente que toma cerveza todo el día? ¡Brasilero! Está bien Brasil, el clima tropical, el calor, pero todo el día en zunga, te tipo. Salud. Qué hermosura, ¿eh? Yo gosto de usted. Florianopolis Dream starts to focus on Argentinian Lucretia and Brazilian Marco, who find themselves drawn together as the holiday progresses. Their kids are keen to hang out with each other and away from the oldies, while Lucretia's self-centered husband Pedro seems to want to spend as much time as possible on his own. ¿De qué se trata la relación esta que tenés con el chico este, el brasilero? No es por ustedes, es porque me quiero ir. Si me voy a quedar un rato por acá, ¿eh? Solo. Después te veo en casa. As the two-week holiday plays out, the various family members drift in and out of each other's lives. Some relationships deepen, others flare up and then fade away. It has all the elements of a summer holiday anywhere. But it's often specific to its location, too. There are several occasions where characters might say, typical Argentinian, or what do you expect from a Brazilian? But I notice that both families will also duck for cover to avoid someone from home. I think anyone who's gone away on holiday may recognise that feeling. <laughs> Veteran director Claire Denis is a great one for the aphorism. For instance, she's quoted as saying, Every film is sexy to me. A film that has no connection with sex? I don't know what that is. Yes, she's French. How did you guess? High Life is not only Denis' first foray into science fiction, but it's also her first film in the English language. She's mine. Hmm. High Life is set on a prison ship travelling at great speed outside the solar system. The ship looks like no spacecraft we've ever seen before, more like a giant travelling cupboard. And when we meet it, it seems singularly underpopulated. One man, Monty, played by Robert Pattinson, and a baby. We were scum, trash, refuse that didn't fit into the system. Until someone had the bright idea of recycling us to serve science. 
So what happened? The story lurches in a series of flashbacks and flash-forwards to partially explain. The ship was originally crewed by a self-sufficient group who'd volunteered to take part in a series of scientific experiments seen as preferable to rotting on death row back on Earth. The odds are not in our favour. But when my work is accomplished, when perfection is achieved, then what? Fly away? Dada. I know I look like a witch. You're foxy and you know it. Among the crew is the obsessive Dr. Dibbs, who has her own private experiments outside the official mission. Played by Juliette Binoche with her distinctive blend of movie star glamour hiding secret neuroses, Dr. Dibbs is determined to produce babies, even in the radioactive environment of space travel. Why do you keep taking this sperm? I'll never have kids. Someday. The only outlet for the crew in high life is sex, it seems, though an added complication is that interpersonal relations are forbidden. The crew members, men and women, are sent to a solitary box where sperm is harvested and later donated via test tube to potential mothers. Since we left the solar system... Radio silence. Only the ascetic Monty refuses to participate, preferring to spend his time in the artificial garden that provides the crew with food. So what happened to the crew, and whose child is the baby? And what did they hope to gain in their voyage to the nearest black hole to Earth? We had to begin the deceleration manoeuvre so the ship could approach a black hole. This is the main goal of our mission. To check if we could capture a black hole's rotating energy. In some ways, High Life is sci-fi the way they used to make it in the 70s. There are echoes of 2001, A Space Odyssey, as well as rigorous fare like Silent Running, Solaris and the bleak third Alien, also set on a prison ship. It's a view of the impersonal future, but it's also a picture of what happens when humanity tries to make easy decisions about difficult problems. You lied to us. You knew it. The sensation, moving backwards. Yeah. Even though we're moving forwards, getting further from what's getting nearer. But Claire Denis' approach, strongly women-centred with its emphasis on fertility, birth, relationships and gender politics, is not sci-fi the way Kubrick and the boys used to make it. It's challenging, it's intriguing, and for all its inclusion of sex, violence and unexpected surprises, it's not remotely what I was expecting from High Life. The strong cast, particularly Juliette Binoche and Robert Pattinson, seem determined to give Claire Denis what she wants, right up to its shock ending. But don't go to High Life expecting any jokes. That's definitely not how Claire rolls. Break the laws of nature. You'll pay for it.
High Life is bleak, it's unrelenting, and I suppose it's sexy if you like this sort of thing, but even its biggest fans can't claim it's any fun at all. But on that reminder that a film doesn't have to appeal to everybody, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.